Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. Hi there, listeners. It's the host and producer, Vicki J. Carter, here of this podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And before we jump into the episode, I wanted to stop real quickly and share with you the newest project that I'm working on. If you are an author, I think you might be interested in it. I have a YouTube channel that I just launched called The Author's Librarian on YouTube. And on that YouTube channel, I am going to share with you free accessible resources that you can use to help you with researching. I'm going to give you tips. I'm also interviewing librarians and I'm writing a book to help authors with researching. So I hope you find me there on that YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the program. Thank you so much for coming back to the Office of the Pacific Northwest. And today, I have the privilege of introducing you to um, an author who is becoming fastly becoming one of my friends. So I love her so much, and I'm, I'm happy to introduce you to her. Her name is Erica Meyer. So, Erica, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone, and thank you all for being here. I'm excited about doing this today. And so happy that Erica can be here because Erica has. Just a huge vast knowledge of so many things that interest me besides a book and writing books. So Erica, why don't you share first off a little bit about yourself, starting out with what state in the Pacific Northwest you live in? I live in Washington State in Edmonds near Puget Sound. And uh, I moved here from Southern California, from San Diego, five years ago, so that I could be close to my daughter and her family. And um, I've been loving it ever since. Yes, and it's beautiful right now. We're hitting our, we're currently listeners, if you're listening to this, uh, we are going to have our biggest record heat wave we've ever had. Like, I think we're going to hit in my area close to 106 um, for a couple of days. And you guys might be a little cooler up north. I think we are. And well, having lived in California, you know, I've got this. Yeah. yeah nothing for you, right? We're just like, all can't plan. It's going to be gone. <laughs> I love it. So, Erica, share a little bit more. The interesting part for me is about your background. Before you came up here, you had an incredible background in music. Um, so, share with our listeners that because that's what really. I fell in love with you about, and you really incorporate that in your work a lot, in your books. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's funny that you should mention incorporating it in my books because I can't escape it. Music is just too much a part of my life, and it all always has been since I was a kid. Um, I actually played a violin at the Metropolitan Opera in the orchestra for 21 years, and that is really the biggest chunk of my life. And it meant a great deal to me to be able to perform with these great singers like Luciano Pavarotti and Placido Domingo and to watch them and learn from them as I learned so much about this opera. So opera has been a passion for me for a long time, but I actually started writing before I even started playing the violin. And that was back when I was growing up in Detroit. 
um, the public schools had, well, it was a wonderful system and they had after school programs. And I was placed in one for creative writing when I was about seven or eight years old. And I, I don't know why some teacher must have seen a spark of something in me, but, uh, and of course I don't remember much of what I wrote, but I do remember loving the whole process of creating characters and plot lines and weaving them all together to tell stories. I just love telling stories. But once I started playing the violin, as those of you who, who have played instruments, you know, especially the violin, it's so difficult that everything else kind of fell by the wayside. Um, but fortunately, all of that violin playing eventually led me to the Met. On the other hand, I never stopped writing. I kept writing in my journals. And in fact, my first two books before my mystery series were both based on my journals. And um, I took writing classes when I was at the Met, whenever I could fit them into my schedule. So that once I finally left the Met, um, was looking for a new creative outlet, it seemed the perfect choice to go back to my lifelong love of writing. And uh, we moved out to California and I started studying with a writing teacher in Los Angeles, um, screenwriting. And then um, I kind of migrated over to novels and that's been my passion ever since. Yes, and you have such a huge body of work and um, the ones that I, the book that I read, it is very filled with opera and I, I don't think you could pick a better <laughs> stage for murder in my, mystery in my opinion and that's what the book that I read was your genre was a murder mystery um, in the opera, which is so fantastic because, you know, there, for people that don't know a lot of history, there is some of that actually out in history. Um, very interesting drama around opera and opera plays and opera houses. Isn't that correct? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, you know, the, the opera stage is just filled with drama all the time. But what people don't know about is the drama that goes on behind the scenes. And that's why I decided to write these novels, because I wanted to give people an insider view of all the jealousies and the rivalries and, you know, the backstabbing that goes on there. And um, it kind of reflects what goes on on stage in these operas, but only more so. It's uh, people don't have any idea, you know, what, what, you know, I mean, I like to say that I, I wrote my first one, Murder in the Pit, which takes place at the Met, uh, so that I could kill off all the people who made my life miserable. That's a great lead into the question that I have, because I know you and I talked prior to this interview, um, and I, I think I asked you this at the time, are there people in your book that like are, are inspiration of people you actually played with? Um, and if so, do they know that you're, you've written you know, books that have inspiration about them? I can be opera individuals being a little bit dramatic, you know, and being like, I'm in your book. It's absolutely true. Um, they're, especially at the Met, since I was there for such a long time, I, I we all got to know each other too well, as a matter of fact. You see more of these people than you see of anybody else. I like to talk about the Met Orchestra as 100 neurotic musicians thrown together in a hole in the ground with no light and no air seven days a week days, nights, and weekends, sooner or later, someone's going to want to kill someone. Yeah. There you have it. So there definitely were people at the Met who inspired a number of characters. 
uh, one in particular who is pretty much exactly the same as he was in real life. The others are mostly combinations of different people. You know, I didn't want it to be too obvious. On the other hand, people who really knew these people very well recognized them immediately. Um, yeah, so, you know, but it's fiction. It's fiction. So uh, I certainly didn't use the same names and I made stuff up. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it, believe me. I was just going to say that's going to be just so much fun to work out all of those years of, because, I mean, if you know musicians, there are also a lot of egos you're bumping into and around. And um, so it's going to be fun to work that out. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny about the egos when you compare musicians to writers. You know, musicians, your fellow musicians always want you to mess up. Yeah, yeah. You no. Know? They're just waiting for you to make a mistake. And writers are so the opposite. They're so supportive and encouraging. And um, the contrast is just quite amazing. I agree. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's something I've been thinking about a lot because I come from a musical background, not me personally. I won't claim I sing or play an instrument, but my husband was a full-time musician. He was in a band and we traveled a good 11 years of um, our first part of our marriage raise our kids on the road in a touring. And so I know the musician egos very, very well <laughs> and all the players around it. It's all, you know, the types that are, you know, the management and the stage managers and the, all of that. Um, and I never felt welcomed in that environment like I feel in the writing community. You're a hundred percent right. Now, it doesn't mean we don't bump into egos in the writing community because there's plenty of them, but they tend still to be giving in a way it's it's really nice yeah they they want you to succeed you know and and musicians don't what can i say i mean let's face it, it the met opera is very high stakes atmosphere so you multiply anything else by 100 and plus you've got you know four or five hundred people working there at any given time and they're all at odds with each other so yeah how right about this stuff yeah. Well, take us a little bit through your writing process. Um, it might, it could be different because you mentioned you have two books, two kinds of books. You have your first two books that are based on your journal, and then you have your mysteries um, that are based on, you know, your life in opera, but it follows a character through um, her experiences. Um, and she ends up finding dead bodies. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Everywhere she goes, there's ends up being a dead body, which is classic, right? Mystery. Um, is the writing process, was the writing process different for those two um, types or genres of writing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely different. Um, the first two, one was based on my high school journals. That's all about um, four female friends who did music together and stayed friends forever, forever friends. The first one, Travels with My Lovers, is based on my journals over a number of years where um, I went through a divorce and my kids would spend time with their dad or my parents during the summer. And then I would go off on these adventures. And uh, it was it's pretty steamy stuff. So that is, you know, I... I'm not afraid of anybody recognizing someone in those. Um, in fact, my three best friends are still my best friends. And I wrote it very much as a love letter to them, that novel. But when it came to the mystery series, that was a whole different thing because this was a way of working out um, my feelings, both positive and negative about the people I worked with. And through this character who is 
like the young me, my alter ego, when I first started out in my 20s. She's very idealistic and, you know, starry-eyed and excited about being there. And then she starts to find out about how people resent each other and how the people on the stage, even though they're big opera stars, they're not necessarily the most savory characters. And neither are some of the characters behind stage, the stagehands, the general manager, all these people. I exaggerated because that's what you do in fiction, but uh, it was based on my experiences in a part of my life that was all important for many, many years. And then once I wrote the first one, Murder in the Pit, and a lot of people, I'm happy to say, read it, started asking me about a sequel. Yeah. And one of them suggested that I go to Santa Fe Opera and write about that. And Santa Fe Opera, <clears throat> that was Death by Opera, the second novel, is a unique place. It's in the middle of the desert in New Mexico, and, and there's nothing else like it in the world. But you have an atmosphere of mystery, first of all, because they say there are more ghosts in Santa Fe than anywhere else in the country or the world. And there are these mysterious mountain ranges surrounding it. And um, the weather patterns, like, you know, certain singer friends of mine would tell me they're doing a really dramatic scene where a statue comes to life and boom, there's a thunder and lightning right in the middle of, you know, I mean, that's unique. And then after that, San Francisco Opera approached me and asked if I would like to write the next one taking place there. And I have um, a very vast connection to San Francisco, the city and the opera company through various relatives and friends and spent a lot of time there. My son lives in San Francisco. So uh, that seemed the natural thing to do. So I was very lucky in that I got to know some of the people in the management and they provided access to the backstage and to the people who worked there. And I got tours of the opera house and got a sense of just how mysterious that place is. It's really, really creepy when you get down to the basement and, you know, fascinating history, you know, the gold rush, it goes all the way back to that. So um, I've had just a blast learning about these new places and writing about them. It's been fantastic, really. And so did I hear you right when you, when you did the book setting in the Santa Fe area, didn't you go and visit there and spend quite a bit of time there in the opera house, right? Oh, I absolutely did. And again, I was lucky because of my background in opera. Um, I just know a lot of people who work in these various opera houses. And one of them was a friend from way, way back from the Met. And he got me into the entire theater, the whole campus, he told me stories that went back many, many decades about uh, opera stars from the past and in the present, and we got to go to performances. It was, um, I really was steeped in the atmosphere. So a lot of people who read that book, Death by Opera, say that um, in reading it, they want to get on the next plane and just go to Santa Fe. Yeah, and you know, that's something I want to, I want to bring up because I did read your third book, the one that was set in the San Francisco um, setting. And I know the San Francisco area very, very well. Um, spent plenty of time there. And that's the one aspect about your book. Well, there's a couple aspects that I liked, but I really liked is that I felt like I knew you, I felt like you lived there and actually, you know, performed in that, on that opera for years because you have such a great depth of, um, 
And I think I asked you about that and that's when you told me that you just had visited. That's such a great example of what I tell people all the time as a librarian, that when you do research, research doesn't have to be online. You can actually do living research, which is going to be so much better for your writing. If you go to places, you get to know people that are in that environment, you ask questions, you hear stories, you actually put yourself in that culture, it's going to make a much better book. So you're a great example of that. <laughs> Thank you. And again, I was very lucky because one of my closest friends lives there and she drove me all around the city looking for locations to, especially for um, the climax. And when you read the book, people who read the book will see that yeah. I really was there the way I describe every detail. And I don't want to tell too much about it, but That's okay. we want to leave people interested in getting it. <laughs> well, definitely. It, it gets pretty exciting at the end. And I think San Francisco is just, even more than New York, the best setting, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You've got so much history, you've got mystery, you've got intrigue, you've got everything there. It's wonderful. So it's, in general, it's just wonderful, but awesome. Well, great. Well, good job on the living research. I mean, like I have a whole section in my book of finding experts, if you are um familiar with a particular area that you're writing about. And I have a whole section in my book about finding those experts to help you. And I just have this conversation with my writers group because one of my writers in my group, he's doing police procedures and he really struggles with that. And I'm like, you need to get a hold of a detective and visit with them and go on a car ride. And you know, that's the fun part about being an author is that you can almost turn anything into research. <laughs> that's absolutely true. In fact, with Murder in the Pit, I did have um, <clears throat> on my team, a detective who had many, many years experience. And she really told me what's right, what's not right, what can happen, what can't happen. You know, you get really into the depth of it. And that makes a big difference when the crime is involved. Yeah. Why don't we go to the publication journey for you? Share with us that journey, because I know you and I talked in the past, and it hasn't always been pleasant. Um, and I think it's so important for others to hear um, how you've overcome that journey to be successful because I view you as a very successful author. You look at her website, you guys, she's got tons of great stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, because I also do lectures and I also write as a journalist for musical groups like Seattle Symphony. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. But as far as the journey to publication, I've never known of anyone who's had an easy journey. It's just... You know, in a way, it's parallel to trying to get a job in a, in a major orchestra. You have to do the auditions, you have to suffer rejection, you have to keep going. And that's kind of the way it worked. Um, so it's a difficult path. But personally, I was impatient to get my first book out there. And so I decided that with the first book, Travels with My Lovers, that I would go um, print on demand or POD. And there were several advantages to doing it that way. Because once you finish writing your book and editing it, then they provide certain services like they design a cover, and but you get to do input on the cover. Um, you can choose the format. You can decide to order as many or as few copies as you need. So that was really convenient to start out to get my name out there and to start going out there and talking about the book. I learned that I had to do that. You know, it's not enough just to write and publish. You have to let people know about it. That's yeah. a whole 
that's marketing. That's a whole other subject. That's a whole full-time job. <laughs> well, it is. You know, there's a very famous uh, writer, um, expert on book marketing named Dan Pointer, and he always said that writing is 5% writing and 95% marketing. It is that's true. <laughs> absolutely true. That's the hardest point. But in any case, happily, that book, Travels with My Lovers, won the Fiction Prize in the Direct from the Author Book Awards. So that was on the positive side, but on the negative side, at least at that point, when it came to promotion, at that time, there was a lot of bias against self-published authors. And even though that's gotten better in recent years, um, I found it kind of discouraging. So I decided that I wanted the credibility of going with uh, a traditional publisher. And fortunately, I had a friend, also a violinist and a writer, who referred me and recommended me to her publisher. So I was able, a traditional publisher, I was able to go directly without getting an agent to publishing Murder in the Pit and the two novels that followed with this publisher. Um, unfortunately, with the, the most recent one staged for murder, um, you know, it's it's. Let's just say that publishing in the middle of a pandemic is not for um, <clears throat> for the faint of heart. Absolutely but, not. <laughs> but um, for some reason, which I still haven't found, gotten to the bottom of this, um, there was no print version, and so many of my readers really enjoy having a book in their hands. And they kept asking, when is the print version? And I kept trying to get an answer out of this publisher. And finally, I um, I got some help from some local and also national writers groups, Sisters in Crime, the local and natural chapters, and the uh, local epic group writers here in Edmond. And somebody told me that there was an organization called, and this is good for your um, listeners to know about, Washington Lawyers for the Arts. And they do pro bono work for you, for artists, writers, musicians who are having legal problems and issues. And so I had a consult with one of their lawyers and I, who um, advised me to get my rights back and look for another publisher. And in fact, that's most that what most of my writing friends also advised. So that's what I did. I I got a letter together with his advice and guidance, sent it to my publisher that I wanted my rights back. I got my rights back. And now, since I talked to you last, I actually have found a new publisher. Well, congratulations, because I know that was really something you wanted to do. Well, and especially the the one publisher I wanted the most, because this publisher actually does mysteries, they specialize in mysteries, and they have a number of other writers who write art mysteries. That's, so that's the genre we're putting in as art mystery, because I didn't think there was an opera murder mystery genre, right? <laughs> well, I created it, but it, within the genre of art mysteries, they have someone who um, writes mysteries in the symphony, they have someone who writes mystery in the ballet. And so my opera mysteries fit right in. So I'm really, really excited about this. I don't, um, I have not yet signed the contracts, but the contracts are forthcoming. She's taken on all three of my books. She's going to republish all of them, possibly with different titles. So I'll have to keep you posted on that. Yeah, so I'm really excited about, about making this happen. So I know that I did the right thing, um, yes. my rights back and finding someone else who, 
um, has a much more active, shall we say, roster of authors, and they're, all their authors support each other within the publishing company. So I'm really excited about that. And as I know more, I'll tell you more. But that's where I am in my path. I'm so happy to hear that because I know when we talked last, that was a definite concern and burden. And you know, I you know I plug for independent authorship just because that's the journey I'm on right now. Um, I have some good news too. I'm going to share here in just a second because this is going to come out right after we record. Um, but and I'm currently loving the journey of the independent author. You know doing it all myself but i wanted to learn it inside and out before i have the opportunity if i choose to go public with a publishing company because i've been burnt in the music industry before because i didn't know the insides and the outs of everything so it helped me to it's helping me to learn but i'm so so happy that you have gotten your rights back and then you also got picked up with a company that sounds like it's a great fit. <laughs> yes, I think I, I'm absolutely confident that it is, and I'm really excited about the journey ahead. Yay. Well, listen, everybody, you know, just get on my show notes, fine. I'll have Erica's website there, because that's where she's going to probably update all of the information um, and how you get her book. I'm in the middle of putting my um, research like a librarian book. It, I put it out in ebook first because I thought that would be easiest, and it kind of was. And now I'm getting the print version out, hopefully by the end of this month, which is June. And that's been a process, learning that whole process, um, getting the whole thing down. Um, but I, I, I love the independent author world and self-publishing world so much, and I've been asked to come on a super huge podcast, which will be out in the fall for independent authors, talking about my research book for writers. And I'm also going to be, within months of my book came out, I'm going to be a speaker for this huge conference. Um, yeah, and it's, good. it's for independent authors. It's called Self-PubCon. They do it online. They're out of England. Um, it's through the Ally... Um, the, it's called Alley of the um, Independent Authors Association Alliance, and they only are taking 24 speakers. And I pitched. I didn't think I was gonna, you know, like, oh, pitch. Right? I'll never make it. And and they're like, we love your topic. Can you be a speaker for us? So I'm so super jazzed because um, for I feel like when you know you're going on the right path and you get these little bits of. Um, uh, Confirmation is so exciting. And I know last time we talked, you were a little discouraged about the whole getting your rights back. So it's so great to see the other side that you got it. And almost immediately, there's another place for you to find a home. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy. But when it works, it's really, it's worth it. It really is. It is. So you talked a little bit about support groups. But I know I could not do anything without my little support group I have, writers group. Um, and you, you mentioned a few that we'll definitely put on show notes. Are there some other ones that you would recommend for individuals that are starting out or they need to find a support group? I think um, a great resource is Writer's Digest online. They that. have classes, they have um, resources that you can help, that will help you to find writers groups. And also, of course, you can Google writers groups in your areas. Sisters in Crime, if you write in that genre, is great. And epic group writers as well, because they're so local, it's, mu it's much more intimate and personal. So uh, that's how I found right, uh, Washington Lawyers for the Arts. So they're a great resource um, and great support. So those are the ones that I would suggest. But Writer's Digest 
is a great uh, overall resource for just about anything you can think of. Well, we've kind of touched base on the, the titles. Now, I've read one book, and you know, listeners, I don't endorse books unless I love them, and I really do love your work. So you can take it from me, y'all. It's great writing, very good. And the part that I loved about the book that I read was that I felt like not only were you doing mystery, but you were giving those of us that have very little knowledge of opera, almost like a um, class of opera. Like we got to learn a lot about the functions of opera. You use a lot of words that are specific to classical music or opera music, which I thought was brilliant. It just was really well done. So your titles, starting with the two, you know, the three that are not the mystery and then your mystery titles, and then share with us, Erica, which one you're going to read from. And then I'm going to let you set the stage for that reading. I'm going to go on mute because I don't know if you guys can hear my husband doing demolished work around me. <laughs> so I better go on mute before, you know, it gets crazy. And uh, we'll listen to you and your reading. All right, then. I am taking it away. Uh, I, the first two books, the first one was called Travels with My Lovers. And that was a POD that won uh, the Fiction Prize in the uh, Direct from the Author Book Awards. The second one that was published with an independent publisher is called Forever Friends, F-O-U-R, Ever Friends. And um, that, another one based on my journals, was a love letter to my high school and my best friends. Then Murder in the Pit that takes place at the Metropolitan Opera, that's all based on my own background, having spent many years as a violinist there. That was followed by Death by Opera, which takes place at Santa Fe Opera, the land of ghosts. And then finally, the most recent is Stage for Murder, which takes place at San Francisco Opera. And I was so happy to find in all these three mystery, opera mystery books, that there are a lot of opera lovers out there who also love mysteries and mystery lovers who are delighted to learn about opera. And I try to make it fun and really intriguing, you know, and I try to explain words that I think people might not be familiar with. And I was happy to know that a lot of people who know very little or even nothing about opera really enjoyed these books. And one of them came up with the phrase, Erica Minor bringing murder and music together which is kind of, I like to think of it as my brand. I think it really works. Uh, the novel that I'm going to read from for you is the most recent one staged for murder. And just a little bit of background, this is the third in the series. So the protagonist, a uh, young violinist named Julia, has already investigated murders at two previous opera houses. It kind of seems to follow her. So she has been hired by San Francisco Opera as an interim first violinist for their summer season. So she goes off to San Francisco. And in the meantime, there is nefarious stuff going on, which I'm about to start reading about. Just a little bit of explanation. Each chapter heading in all of these three opera mystery novels begins with a quote from a different opera, first in the original language and then the translation into English. So when I get to chapter one, first I'm going to read the prologue, then very short, then chapter one. I'm gonna start with the name of that character. And this book, by the way, is all about the very famous Ring operas of Wagner. So all of this is gonna be in German, but not to worry, I will give you the translation. 
So I'll start with the prologue. 1922. Beyond the vastness of a Northern California University stadium pulsating with opera music, the Bay Area fog hovered in the night air above the hills far off to the west. Overhead, a silver half moon hung in the sky, unobstructed by clouds and uninterrupted by wind. A realm unto itself, the magical opera wonderland existed as if in its own universe, without intervention from any worldly reality. The audience of thousands, their hearts wrenched by the plaintive tones of an anguished, long-suffering clown, sat mesmerized as streaks of mist began to obscure the moon's light. In a remote corner of the stadium, a lone figure lingered in the shadows, contemplating, considering, and waiting. Chapter one, present day, the character, Albrecht. Das Licht lusch ich euch aus, entreiße den Rift das Gold, schmiede den Rachen den Ring. I extinguish your light, seize the gold from the rock, and forge the vengeful ring. Wagner, Das Rheingold, scene one. They were crossing the street now. He could see them, so involved in their opera talk that they weren't paying attention. Good. Everyone knew that the corner of Franklin and McAllister, the nearest main crossing to the stage door of San Francisco's War Memorial Opera House, was one of the busiest in the entire Civic Center district, especially at twilight when people were leaving work. Once the gilded California light began to wane, it was sometimes hard to see where one was going or to perceive what and who might be in the immediate vicinity. Performers from the opera could not avoid crossing that intersection multiple times, day and night. Pedestrian accidents were not that common there, but they did happen, common enough. With the driver's seat window open, he could hear fragments of their conversation. How he despised that voice, the voice of an operatic tenor who was so arrogant, so full of himself, that he strode about the stage as if he owned it, that he looked down on anyone who wasn't an opera star like himself especially me. Andres, the tenor, spoke as he sang, as if he were telling the world that he, Andres, was the God's gift to opera. He strutted around, owning, claiming the stage and every other opera stage in the world for himself. He doesn't deserve to be a star. Maestro Merola, our sainted founder, would never have put up with such egregious affectation. But Maestro Merola had been taken from the company much too soon. The maestro was a saint, a saint who didn't deserve to die before his time. He wiped away a tear. Then, remembering that afternoon's rehearsal, he clenched his teeth. The repulsive behavior Andres exhibited that day proved he had not changed one whit since his previous engagement years ago with the company. Arguing with the stage director, the conductor, he still spoke as if he existed in some lofty echelon miles above everyone else, in a Valhalla of his own making. That bastard. The world will be a better place without him. The traffic signal changed to yellow, and he could see that Andres and Ben were only halfway across the intersection. Perfect. Their light turned red and his turned green. It was time. Bearing down on the accelerator, he hugged the right lane, trying to aim for Andres without hitting Ben. He had no gripe with Ben, but if he became collateral damage, well, piccato. It would be a shame. But sometimes sacrifices must be made for the greater good, getting rid of Andres once and for all. 
The impact was swift and hard. He felt the thud of metal striking skin and muscle and bone. He didn't look back, just raced through the intersection, weaving through cars, heading straight north on Franklin. He wasn't concerned about onlookers looking up Franklin in his direction. The street's incline was relatively steep around Alper Plaza, and he knew any potential witnesses would not be able to see much further ahead. Once he had cleared their line of vision, he would be out of sight. Bristling with tension, he wiped one clammy palm, then the other on his jacket. He quickly glanced around. No one seemed to be following him, and traffic ahead was light, as he had hoped. He could slow down and act normal. He was home free. Would, would the accident be featured on KTVU Evening News in the headlines tomorrow morning? He relished the thought that when he returned to the Opera House the next day, voices would be buzzing with theories about who could possibly have wanted to harm Andres Aberg, the great Wagnerian tenor, who indeed. Yay, that's the part that hooked me, lion seeker. I had to find out who was. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. So um, everybody, make sure you get this book. But the question that I asked you a while ago was, um, you wrote these almost like standalone, so we can follow the character. She grows in the process of the three books, but if somebody picked up the third book, they wouldn't be missing out a whole lot. Is that correct? That's correct. Any of these could be a standalone. But on the other hand, if you want to get the full impact, especially of the transformational arc of the character, it's really fun to start with Murder in the Pit, where she's this, you know, neophyte that knows nothing and then little by little becomes more sophisticated. But somehow murder keeps following her. It's so interesting. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. So Erica, as we close up the podcast, what would, what inspirational thought or um, two cents or tip would you like to give somebody like me who's just generally starting out? Granted, things that I'm starting out is doing good, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to have that kind of success when they start out writing books. <laughs> I think the key is to follow your passion, whatever it is. I mean, for me, I'm writing about opera. That's the art form that provides me with constant inspiration. It's really limitless, and so is my love for it. So whenever I'm looking for encouragement and inspiration to keep writing, I just go back to the operas that I've played or that I've researched or lectured about. That gives me continuing motivation to keep creating, to research, to move forward in my work. Also because of course, my protagonist is somewhat a reflection of myself, although I'm not nearly as brave as she is. <laughs> I don't think I could possibly be that brave, um, but she's really, really something. And the whole background is just so rich. And so that's my passion, my inspiration. So I would say, follow your passion. Passion is the center of everything. If you love it and believe in it, then it will guide you in your journey. Yay, and I'm going to take that in myself too because I, I love that and that's such great advice. So listeners, um, pop on the show notes. You can also get um, the transcripts on my website because I'm actually um, to the point where we can do some transcripts so you can download a whole PDF version of this entire podcast. Thank goodness for transcripts, right? <laughs> and, um, and also, buy Erica's book and read it. 
write a review because writing reviews are like the lifeblood for all of us. When did you know um, this particular book? It's not out on Amazon or anything yet, right, Erica? The one that you shared. Um, that one was out in ebook for a while, and it's now been removed, waiting to be. Uh, republished. Okay. The other two books are still available, and well, uh, they buy the two books and catch up, right? Get ready catch up while waiting for the next one. In the meantime, you can read all about my books and my journey and my lectures and all of my writing on my website, ericaminer.com, E-R-I-C-A-M-I-N-E-R. You can also uh, subscribe to my newsletter, which I'm going to start up again once the books are going to be republished. Um, I have Facebook and Twitter, and I have an author page on Amazon and on Goodreads. So there are lots of different places where you can find me. Awesome. And newsletters are the best um, because we can, as authors, we can get out all that information in one newsletter once a month, generally, to your inbox. So definitely get on Erica's newsletter, you guys, so you can hear when this uh, book is published. It's so good. I want you guys to read it. Um, but you can catch up with the other two and get her other ones from the Love Letters series, which I think would be great, too. Um, and Erica, thank you so much for being here. Oh, yes, I wanted to challenge my readers, too. If they do, if you guys do read Erica's book, email her and tell her that you found her on this podcast. It's so awesome for us to know where we've been connected with, with our readers. Um, so make sure you do that. So Erica, thank you for being here. I'm going to do one more ending plug here for the conference that I'm going to be um, doing here. Just so you guys know, there should be a link in show notes and that link will link you directly to the website and you're going to get a huge discount. There's three free days to that conference. It's going to be in October um, of 2021, but there's also a discount code that's associated with me so that you can get um, all the recordings from the past and any future <laughs> conferences. And it's called self-publishing con so i'm super excited about that so jump on show notes get all of erica's information and join her mailing list and thank you erica for being here i appreciate it well thank you vicky it's been such a pleasure and i look forward to continuing our journey together yes me too <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theautherslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Authors Librarian, signing off.